My name is Dr. Tram Jones. Starting in December 2019, my wife and I lived in Haiti. Recently, given the current insecurity, we are out of the country, but we continue to support and work with our partner clinic, Lesquati Moon, with its 53 employees on the ground in the city of Quadibouquet, Haiti. The year is 2004. Port-au-Prince is in turmoil. A rebel army has taken Haiti's second city and now has the capital surrounded. President Aristide is huddled in the presidential palace. The deputy chief of mission of the U.S. Embassy arrives to meet with Aristide, asking that he resign. Aristide does so and is whisked away in a U.S. Air Force plane. On the same day, Haiti's interim president, the chief of the Supreme Court, requests international assistance. The U.N. decides that it will send in a peacekeeping force. In advance of the U.N., 1,000 U.S. Marines land in Haiti to stabilize the situation until the U.N. arrives. Foreign troops would be present in one form or another on Haitian soil for the next 15 years. We've now arrived at the third and final U.S. intervention in Haiti. And to be fair, outside of the initial invasion, this was more U.N. than U.S. And we're talking about 15 years. Where do we even begin? The UN occupation of Haiti from 2004 until 2019 has a lot we can talk about. Cholera, earthquakes, sexual abuse scandals. It is widely viewed as the model of an intervention that was not successful. And this topic is difficult to fully evaluate because it's so recent. We almost need a few decades to pass to be able to look at this with the dispassionate eyes of history and be able to evaluate what went wrong. But let us try anyway. As usual, we'll start with the basic facts. If you'll remember, the U.S. put President Aristide back in power in 1994, three years after he had been ousted in a violent coup d'etat. Forces brought him into power, stabilized the situation, held elections, and left the country in 1996. Now, fast forward four years to 2000. Aristide is elected again. But over the next few years, under his watch, corruption mounted. Powerful business elites and former army officers protested against Aristide, eventually creating a rebel army that would sweep down from the north. In response, Aristide armed his supporters, the inner city poor, creating Haiti's first true gangs, whose allegiance was directly to him. Violence rose precipitously. Finally, Aristide was overthrown and the U.S. and U.N. stepped in, first with Marines and then U.N. peacekeepers to stabilize the situation. At the time, there was agreement among U.S. officials that troops had left too early after the last intervention. This time, the international community resolved that they would make good and sure that Haiti was stable before they left. For the next several years, U.N. soldiers and police battled the gangs left behind by Aristide, trying to stabilize the country. And then, in 2010, a Haitian earthquake occurred, convincing the U.N. that a continued presence would be necessary. Peacekeepers would not leave the country until 2019. And even at that point, the Dominican Republic, Haiti's neighbor to the east, argued that the country was not stable enough for foreign troops to leave. And they were right. From the moment that troops left, the situation rapidly devolved in Haiti. Today, rival gangs war openly. The Haitian government is unable to stop them. Murders and rapes are commonplace. There is no rule of law. There are no democratically elected institutions. Haiti is a failed state. 
And why did this happen so quickly, just a couple years after the international community left? As I said, we are too close to the action to have an unbiased view. And if you ask different Haitians, you will probably get many different responses. In the same way, you would get different responses to any political question in the United States. But let's try. My bottom line summary, and this is my opinion, of why the mission failed was that neither the Haitian government nor the international troops had the support of the Haitian people. We could stop there, but let's examine a few aspects. First, the mission was too long. Understandably, the U.S. wanted to lead a longer mission, given that their previous two-year foray into Haiti had not led to a long-standing democracy. The course they chose was to correct all the way in the other direction. And why is a long mission dangerous? Because when soldiers are in a foreign country, things happen. This is not to speak ill of soldiers or question their morals. It is the nature of war. Put thousands of troops in an unstable environment with guns, and if you wait long enough, scandals will happen. Every year that troops stay, the odds are ratcheted up more and more. After 15 years, you're going to have some issues. And, of course, they happened. First up was cholera. In 2010, UN troops from Nepal brought the disease when they were deployed. The subsequent outbreak made nearly a million Haitians sick and killed at least 9,000. Did the UN try to bring cholera into Haiti? No, of course not. Could they have focused more on hygiene at their base? Of course, and they should have. But a countrywide cholera outbreak was probably not foreseeable. The problem is that with each year you stay in country, the odds of something like this goes up. And to their shame, the UN was very slow to admit culpability. There were also sexual abuse scandals. A Sri Lankan unit ran a child sex ring, paying children as young as 12 with snacks and coins. But this was just the tip of the iceberg. As the rumors say, there are many curly-haired, mixed-race children in the slums of Port-au-Prince, the result of liaisons between peacekeepers and local people. And as years passed on, the UN peacekeepers were accused more and more of killing civilians. These often occurred during anti-gang operations. The population can excuse accidental killings in the first couple years, especially if the situation is much more stable than the chaos of Aristide's presidency. They may even view this as a necessary evil. But after 15 years, the number of people that know a family member or a friend killed by UN forces grows to a critical mass. And ultimately, the population begins to wonder why the soldiers are still there. So that's one problem. The mission was viewed as too long. Every year brought new scandals. Second, the Haitian people, probably with good reason, felt that the occupation was running everything in Haiti. This created all sorts of problems. Why? Because anytime something went wrong, the UN or the US was blamed. In occupations that have succeeded across the globe, take Sierra Leone, East Timor, etc., the people believed that the foreign forces were on their side. But in Haiti, that was not the case. Sure, there were elections over these years for a government in Haiti, but it was really viewed, whether that was true or not, as a government propped up by the U.S. And boy, is that dangerous. It meant that people felt no particular allegiance to their government or its institutions. So when the U.N. and the U.S. left, there was a massive power vacuum. Gangs were able to fill that void. If you listen now, nearly every gang leader in Haiti, no matter how evil, styles himself as a freedom fighter on the side of the people against the government and politicians. 
Third was a lack of follow-up. By 2019, the UN and all partner countries were bone-tired of Haiti. Their name had been dragged through the mud with scandal after scandal. Everyone wanted out. On average, it was costing the UN around $500 million per year to occupy Haiti. Once the UN pulled out, so did much of the funding. The Haitian National Police received grants for smaller programs, but even this wasn't ramped up until Haiti went into full crisis. Crucially, the international community did not help with average police salaries. And listen, I get it. Why should other countries pay the salaries of the Haitian National Police? It doesn't sound fair. Haiti should take care of its own police. But at the moment, the U.S. is looking at financing what will likely be a billion-dollar intervention in this country. A small investment earlier would have had a chance to avert this. It's just realpolitik. And this happens all the time in medicine. An uninsured person comes into the hospital with a massive heart attack. The hospital is legally obligated to care for the patient, regardless of if they can pay. So the patient undergoes a heart catheterization, then bypass surgery, and finally leaves the hospital after 35 days. It's a miracle. But then, we don't pay for the patient's blood pressure medication once they leave. And lo and behold, they come back in with a new heart attack, and the cycle continues. And why is paying police salaries so important? Well, it should be obvious. Haiti's government is desperately poor. Officers often go months without a paycheck. New recruits this year went their first six months without a payday. And if the government isn't paying them, guess who is? That's right, the armed gangs. And so instead of training an effective police force, you're training gang members. The last aspect that the international community could have done better was gun control. When Aristide left power, he left a heavily armed country. But we can't just blame him. Since the departure of the UN, ammunition and arms have rapidly flowed into Haiti. Haiti, with no significant coast guard or military, is unable to patrol its borders. Instead of pulling out and turning our head, we should have helped to prevent weapons from entering. For the last two years, the gangs have massively outgunned the Haitian police. And taking care of this would have been to our own benefit. Because if there's a new international intervention, we could be facing those very same weapons. At this point, we have perhaps belabored the point. And I'm aware that it is easy to be a critic, to point out where things could have been done better. There are very logical reasons why the UN and the US made these choices in the past. Haiti is a difficult and unstable place in which to work. But in some ways, we, as the US, have no other choice. Even besides a moral obligation, we cannot allow a Somalia to develop off our coast. It would be a disaster for our neighbors, for the drug trade, and for irregular immigration. And to be crystal clear, this is where we are headed if we haven't gotten there already. Thank you for listening. Every other Wednesday, we tell another story from Haiti. Our goal is simply to tell stories as we have seen them in the country. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history. There are many Haitians who can tell the story of Haiti in all its richness, and we encourage you to seek them out. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti, go to lightfromlight.me. Thank you, and God bless.